Um, but from Acts chapter 8, um, we, see, we see Paul, don't we? We see his character come into focus. Um, Paul was this really larger-than-life character. Um, initially, he came onto the scene um, as a murderous persecutor, really, of the Church of God. Um, prior to his life-transforming experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what we see happening throughout the book of Acts is we see God powerfully using Paul um, as his chosen vessel to proclaim the gospel throughout the Gentile world. Um, We see Paul, don't we, um, fulfilling his divine mandate to bear witness to Christ before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that other than Jesus Christ himself, no man has had such a profound impact um, on the shaping of individuals, um, of nations and of cultures than the Apostle Paul. I think that at a very deep level, most of us, if we're Christians, we have this desire and, and longing in many ways for our lives to be at the Lord's disposal and for our lives to count for his eternal purposes. Um, And that's the case, really, whether we're in formal ministry or we're not. We probably have lots of other motivations as well, but somewhere deep in us we have this desire to be used of the Lord and for our lives to count for him. I think in this closing chapter of Acts, um, we really see highlighted in Paul um, some of the characteristics that God really prizes in those who would be used by him. Um, And so as we look into the chapter, that last chapter 28, we can see um, those things, that um, those characteristics um, that God would bring out if we're going to be used by the Lord. I just want to look briefly at a few of those characteristics tonight um, in Acts chapter 28, just going through, um, really looking at Paul, um, and also just seeing how some of those characteristics can apply to us as well. So... You remember last week we finished on chapter 27. We were left really with a scene of desperation and chaos. Um, We saw these survivors uh, from the shipwreck. They were grabbing bits of wood and debris to enable them to safely get to shore. You remember that miraculously they all end up um, where they should be. Um, God promises Paul. He says, Now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. And so they stumble upon this island of Malta um, in, in verse 1. Um, it's, the island of Malta is the furthest island away from the Mediterranean continent. So it's the one furthest out in the sea. Um, it was formerly called Melita, I believe. Um, and it basically means refuge. Um, so it was quite appropriate that that, that it must have been a welcome you know, they almost, these guys almost met um, a watery grave, basically, didn't they, in the Mediterranean. Um, but it was a refuge to them. Now, as soon as they got um, to Malta, they had this tremendous um, hospitality lavished upon them uh, by, the, by the natives um, in the area. They were probably suffering from hypothermia at this stage. They were probably drenched and frozen right, through the, uh, right to the core. Um, But then really we get into the first characteristic that I want to bring out tonight. The first characteristic of the man that God uses. Um, And we see see Paul doing something in verse 3. We see Paul gathering a bundle of sticks. (laughs) 
So what, what characteristic can we bring out from, from that? Well, first of all, the man that God uses, I come up with this phrase, it's, he's an industrious servant of all. You know, Paul had every reason at this point just to put his feet up. And that's what I would be doing if I'd just been um, hypothermic and I'd almost drowned. I would just be soaking up the fire. I'd be soaking up the um, hospitality of the Maltese people. Um, He was probably absolutely frozen to the core at this stage. He was probably completely exhausted. He probably wasn't the best person really suited to be doing this job. There were probably a lot of other people on the boat at this stage, more lowly, you know, um, crew people who could be gathering sticks. Um, But what does Paul do? Instead of that, Paul, we see him displaying, I think, the heart of a servant. Um, We see him displaying the heart of a servant. Um, It was the same heart that really allowed Jesus um, to stoop down and wash the feet of the disciples, those sort of dirty, stinking feet. Um, So Paul here had a very Christ-like heart by gathering the sticks. Probably the last thing he felt like doing, um, but he chose to do that. He chose to be a servant. One of the first things we must remember, if we wish to be of any use at all in the kingdom of God, that we must remember the words of Jesus. He said, didn't he, in Mark 9, verse 35, he said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. But you know, the thing is, not only did Paul have this Christ-like servant's heart, but he was also a man of action as well. And he worked hard for the benefit of others in practical ways, like we see him doing here with the sticks. Um, It's been said before that talk is cheap, and often as Christians we're guilty of, um, of talking the talk without walking the walk. But one of the things the Word of God tells us to do is it says, um, don't be hearers of the Word only, but be doers of the Word. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I think some of us are more kind of theoretical and abstract by nature than others. I think I definitely fall into that category. I'm much less um, practically minded and hands-on than some people. Um, That's probably why I've got like three speeding tickets recently and been on so many speed awareness courses because I'm often not really concentrating um, on what I'm doing at the time. I'm maybe thinking about something else or thinking about Paul or something or characteristics of Paul, (laughs) Um, which isn't a good thing, by the way. It isn't a good thing because I I think one of the things here is that if we're to be mature Christians, our lives need to be balanced by both aspects. We need to be... We need to have that right heart towards the Lord and towards others. But also, we do need to be practically minded as well. And we do need to be doers of the word only. And Paul was certainly a man who had both um, of, those, of those elements. And he, he kind of embodied those things perfectly. So, let's move on, looking to the next characteristic. Um, as he, he gathered the bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire. And then a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Uh, And they said, no doubt he's a murderer, who, who though he's escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. But he just shakes off the creature into the fire, and he he suffers no harm. Now, if this had been me, I would have descended immediately into a kind of a shrieking, hysterical frenzy. (laughs) Um, Mainly mainly because I I hate snakes. I really hate snakes at the best of times. Even if they... Do you remember like Steve Irwin and those TV programs? Like, it just... Oh, it really freaks me. I don't know. I just really don't like snakes. Um, (laughs) But but Paul here... um, We see Paul remains completely unruffled. um, And he just kind of nonchalantly 
um, flicks it off into the fire. And I think that's, that speaks to us of something about Paul, because he learnt the secret of being unfazed by any situation in, the li- in life. He had this rock-solid confidence in God and what God had promised to him. You remember how before, when he was on the ship, um, God said to him, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all who sail with you. So Paul knew at the back of his mind, you know, actually, I'm not going to drop dead after I'm bitten by this snake. I'm going to go and be brought before Caesar. And God's got a plan for me. Um, So he knew that not even a venomous snake bite could derail God's purposes um, for him in his life. And I think, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, the Lord kind of spoke to me, and, and, and I feel that he said, really, it's not just a practical thing, the bite of, of the viper, you know, that bite of the viper. We all have the, the bite of the viper in our lives. Something that comes into our lives that we're not expecting. It could be maybe an unexpected betrayal. It could be a sudden illness or a bereavement. It could just be a really severe period of kind of spiritual and emotional turmoil. Have you ever had those in your mind and it just seems to come out of the blue? It could be any of those things and it comes into our lives and it's, it's unexpected. It's like a snake which is hiding um, in and amongst some sticks and just unexpectedly it darts out and it grabs onto your hand and it's the bite of the viper. You know, I, I mean, I think it's worthwhile remembering that one of the reasons I hate snakes is... Um, throughout the scriptures, they are always a picture of evil, aren't they? They're a picture of satanic influence. And I think some of these things that come to us unexpectedly may well be demonically orchestrated in some cases. They may well be um, demonically orchestrated. Um, but how do we deal with those things? Because they're going to come. Something, <laughs> something bad is going to happen to you at some point in your life. Maybe not tonight. But something bad at some point is going to happen to you. And that snake is going to jump out of that fire. And when that snake jumps out of that fire, and when that bite of the viper comes, how are we going to react and what are we going to ground ourselves in as believers? And, 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 and Paul remembered the promises of God. He said, I know what God has said to me in the past. God said to me that I'm going to be brought before Caesar. He said to me that I'm going to be used of him. So we deal with the bite of the viper. We flick the viper off into the fire by remembering the promises of God. So that's, that's the second characteristic we see about Paul. He was an industrious servant of all, first of all. Secondly, um, uh, he, he kind of dealt with the, the bite of the viper, uh, which I've said is he doesn't flinch in the face of unexpected calamity or spiritual attack. But thirdly, we learn something else. Thirdly, we learn about Paul that he wasn't destroyed by adulation or criticism. He wasn't destroyed by either of those two things. One of the (coughs) unmistakable facts we learn from everyday experience, um, as well as from the scriptures, is that human beings are fundamentally fickle. You will learn that that lesson um, as you go through life. We really see it clearly in the world of sport, don't we? Where we see um, a player can be a hero one second, hailed as a hero, and then the next moment they're torn to shreds when their performance just just kind of um, slips a bit. Um, The the exuberant cheer is eclipsed very quickly by a mocking cheer of derision. It doesn't kind of 
stay around very long. And in this situation, we see the Maltese people, really, they yo-yo between one moment writing Paul off as a murderer, and the next minute, they basically hail him as a god the next. That's what happens here. And Paul had had experience of dealing with this before. Do you remember in Acts 14? Um, do you remember when Paul and Barnabas were at Lystra, and... Um, the multitudes could scarcely be restrained from sacrificing to them and, and treating them as gods. But in the very next verse, after just a little bit of persuasion from the Jews, they drag them out of the city um, and, and they try and stone Paul to death, basically. So Paul had had a lot of experience before in dealing with being either adulated excessively or being criticised. He'd learned how to deal with both of those things. We see that, don't we, in the life of Jesus. We see, you know, the crowds on Palm Sunday, they cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, And then just a few days later, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus himself experienced that fickleness. He experienced the fickleness of human beings. But Paul learned something, and he learned something really important. He learned that the buzz of adulation was just as lethal to his ministry um, as the despondency of dejection and rejection. Both of those things were as lethal to his ministry. Um, Because, you know, it it talks, doesn't it, in in, uh, Timothy about, you know, one of the dangers of church leaders, they can become puffed up if they're a novice, and we know about pride, we know how that can really wreck everything that God is doing in our lives. And Paul was aware of that. Um, the other extreme, you've got dejection when you're rejected and how that can also ruin everything. But Paul really had learned to be... How does he deal with the Maltese here? How does he deal with them saying he was a murderer one minute and saying he was a god the next moment? He basically ignores it. He just ignores what they say. He doesn't pay any attention to them. Because, you know, Paul said um, in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18, it's not he who commends himself... Who is approved, but who the Lord commends. It's who the Lord commends. And Paul knew that. He knew that that was what was important. So we've seen those things. Um, just want to talk now. He goes on, uh, as Sammy was saying, as Publius, I don't know how he pronounced it in the end, Publius or Publius. He goes, he goes off to um, Publius and uh, he goes and he, he, lays, um, he lays hands on the father of um, Publius, and he heals him, um, uh, and, uh, and, and he's healed of fever and dysentery. Now that brings into mind, how did Paul know how to do that? How did he know that he should go up and lay hands on Publius at that time? Because we know that from the scriptures, we know there are certain times when Paul did leave people sick. He left, uh, I can never remember it rightly, Trophimus, or someone he left sick at Miletus. So there were obviously cases when it wasn't God's will to heal. You know, I think that's very clear from the scriptures. But in this case, Paul knew that he would go up to Publius, lay hands on him, and he would be healed. And I think that Paul knew this, really, because he had a very close walk with Jesus. He had a very close intimacy with Jesus. A bit like, um, the same way as Jesus Um, I mean, Jesus said, the Father hasn't left me alone. I do always those things that please him. 
So Jesus was close enough with the Father, he was constantly abiding with the Father, that he knew in every given situation what was the appropriate course of ministry. He knew whether it was right to lay hands at that time and pray for healing. It wouldn't have always been right in every situation, but he knew and he was sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was saying in a specific situation. And he had the faith to act when the Spirit told him something. I think that's something we can really struggle with because it's quite a subjective <clears throat> quite a subjective thing, isn't it? That kind of, you know, when does God want me to do something? But we need to have that kind of walk with the Lord that we are sensitive to what he's saying in a given situation. And that when he does speak to us, that we then have the faith to, to act on that and, to, and, to, re, and to, you know, to act in accordance with that. So that's what Paul did. We see Paul doing that here um, with, with Publius. We see the great effects that that then had on the island. Many more who had illnesses and sicknesses um, coming uh, towards him. Now, just moving on, what we see happening next in the, in the, in the chapters that they set sail for, for Rome. They board this Alexandrian uh, ship. Um, and they go on this sort of complicated journey um, with lots of names that I can't say. Um, and then in verse 14, uh, we see that they found brethren and they're invited to stay with them seven days. Um, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And this really is the next, sorry, I think so many points. And this is the next point, um, the next point really, um, that I think is important about Paul and about the man that God uses, is he's a man who values and pursues relationships with his brethren. Paul wasn't someone who saw himself as a lone ranger. He cherished those relationships that he had with his fellow believers. Do you remember the book of Philippians? I love the book of Philippians, and God willing, it's a book I'd really like to um, teach through at some point. Um, and Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, he says, God is my witness. He says, God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. So he viewed his relationships with other believers positively as a source of great encouragement and strength. Um, not as an inconvenience, that's the way we often see relationships with other believers. It's just people are just a little bit of a nuisance at times, they're a burden or an inconvenience. But, but that's a rebuke to us because Paul sees those relationships, he longs for them, he has a heart of affection for these people, he greatly longs for them. And we see that, you know, he, he was delighted when he found brethren, he was really pleased. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. So he valued those relationships with the brethren. We see again his attitude in Romans 15 and verse 22. He said, for this reason, I've been much hindered from coming to you, but no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. I think sometimes the language we see in the New Testament about having all this great desire for fellowship with other believers, we struggle with it because of the fact that our society is highly individualistic. And so to us it seems quite an oddity in, in, Western, in kind of our Western culture. 
But actually, it's normal New Testament Christianity. It's nothing abnormal. It's just the bread and butter of what they were doing in Acts. It's the bread and butter of Paul's life. Um, so it isn't odd. It is something we're called to pursue. We're called to pursue those relationships, value those relationships with our brethren. When it's easy and when it's difficult as well. And it should be a priority in our lives to value those relationships. It's not always easy to do because we are all very different. um, But it is something that the Lord is definitely calling us towards. He's calling us to value those relationships. um, Because it is the source that we receive strength and encouragement. We're not just individuals. Just me and my Bible. Will and I have been talking about this a lot. Um, But it isn't just me and my Bible. It isn't just God speaking to me through my Bible. I actually need you and you need me. And I need you to speak into my life. And you need to speak into my life, because otherwise, you know, we're not going to grow, basically. Um, But we see the great honour. We see the great honour that the the guys in Rome had for Paul. They actually travelled out to... They travelled out to... um, this place called Appii, that was 51 miles outside Rome. So they'd gone all the way from Rome to Appii to meet Paul. Um, they also went to some of them, so some of them went to Appii to see Paul, some of them went to the Three Inns. The Three Inns was 28 miles from Rome. So they really gave Paul a welcome that was fit for a king. They really loved Paul, they really honoured him, they really desired to meet with Paul, and they travelled. So these are little details, I think, in the scriptures that really give us. Um, you know, this gives us a glimpse into what the hearts of the believers were like in those days and how they felt about Paul. So we're going to just move on. Um, so uh, it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And what Paul does now is, is, is he basically gives an account to them. He gives an account um, of, of the gospel and of how God has dealt with him as a man. Um, so that's really the, the sixth <laughs> sort of characteristic of a godly man. It's he's capable of giving a clear account of the gospel and of God's dealing with him. And John spoke about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. He talked about how you know, we need to be able to clearly and succinctly talk about how God's dealt with us. What's our story as believers? Um, we note something about what Paul said. We note that the emphasis of what he said was on Jesus. And he refers to Jesus here as the hope of Israel, that he was the hope of Israel. That's what his account or his story centred on. It was the person of Jesus. Um, and also, the other thing that I think John brought out as well is, is discussing about how our testimonies often need to be given with a, a sensitivity toward our audience, towards the kind of people we're talking to. So we see Paul here, when he gives this account, he talks a lot about um, Jesus really being the fulfilment of these messianic promises of the Old Testament. So he specifically tailors what he's saying towards this Jewish audience. Um, and he has a sensitivity towards, towards them. Um, And so we do well to remember that when we're sharing our testimonies, perhaps there are things that we can bring out or particular things, not we change the message obviously, but we can kind of emphasise particular things. And Paul particularly emphasises Jesus as the fulfilment of the Old Testament messianic promises here. Um, But I think it's worth remembering as we we continue, as as we look through, we find that they didn't all receive what Paul had to say. They were, there was a division among themselves. However polished our testimonies are, however, however good they are, however powerful we think they are, um, it's not going to be met with a positive response universally. We have to remember that. 
Um, in 2 Corinthians 2, um, Paul says, you know, we are to God the fragrance among those, uh, among those who are being saved and among those perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. So there's always going to be that division. However good our testimonies are, you know, we should seek to give um, a, good, a good testimony. Um, but there's always going to be that division. The gospel always brings division. Jesus said, didn't he, that he always came to bring, he did come to bring a sword. He came to bring that division of how people are going to respond to him. Um, so basically we, saw, we see uh, now he gives his account. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a reference here to um, I- Isaiah. Um, and then really we see Paul... Uh, coming under house arrest basically he comes under under a form of house arrest basically um in in rome um and it's at this period during his house arrest that he actually has a very fruitful time we notice a couple of things about these last few verses just as we're concluding really just the last couple of characteristics i want to bring up first of all Paul has an open door towards those needing ministry. He always has an open door towards those needing ministry. He was always available to those in need. Uh, We see um, in verse 30 that he received all who came to him. So everybody who came to Paul, everyone who came to his door wanting some help or some ministry or some counsel, he had a continuously open door. Paul operated um, an open door policy. That's very costly, isn't it? It's very costly to have an open door policy um, if you're ministering to people. But Paul understood something about ministry that was important. He understood that the definition of ministry is ministry is pouring yourself out for others. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians 15, he said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So it's not always easy, is it? But A question that I think is very searching for us as believers, um, not just for people who are in leadership, but for all of us as believers, is are we always willing to receive those who come to us? Do we have an open door, even at times when it's inconvenient or draining? Because it's very easy to be there for people when it's it's just easy and we want to be with people anyway. But when it's inconvenient or, or draining, there's a price to pay for having an open door. There's a price to pay for being willing to receive people at all times. We do need some balance and wisdom as to how we have that open door, I think. And I think that the Lord will give us that. But basically our attitude needs to be having an open door, receiving all who come to us, receiving all who need ministry. Um, And finally, um, basically in verse 31, um, we see Paul... um, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbid him. So the final thing about the man of God is that his message is firmly fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. His message is firmly fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Um, So there is a danger that um, as Christians and Christian leaders, they can use that position of influence to to major on things which um, are not central. And everything Paul said, it was those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> some, sometimes, you know, as Christians, we can talk about things that aren't necessarily wrong. They're just other 
maybe more peripheral doctrines or other emphases, and we can talk about those things. But Paul's ministry, um, his message, um, was those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ. So it focused on Jesus, focused on his ministry. Um, Paul knew that Jesus was the power and the wisdom of God, and he knew that that was the centre of the gospel. He knew that that was the centre of what he should be emphasising. So, as far as the scriptural record goes, um, the curtain is really drawn at this point on, on Paul. Um, it's likely that he, he spent some time, uh, he, he had this time at house arrest. We think he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians um, at this point. The consensus of early church tradition is that he was probably released from this period in imprisonment and that he then went on to carry further and quite extensive missionary work. Um, Clement of Rome, um, who was a contemporary of Paul, um, said that Paul was a teacher of righteousness unto the whole world and that before his decease he reached the furthest bounds of the West and he bore his testimony before the ruling powers. This suggests that Paul probably reached Spain. You remember in in Romans he he talked about he had this great desire to go to Spain. Well, the furthest bounds of the West at that time, the extreme West, was understood as referring to Spain. Um, So it's likely that Paul reached Spain as his... um, After he was released here, it's likely that he then reached Spain and he brought the gospel um, to that place as he desired to do. And then what became of Paul? Well, early early historical uh, writers, and particularly uh, Eusebius, I can't say that very well, but Eusebius, um, talk about Paul being beheaded in Rome, probably, um, in the mid-AD 60s, um, during the the reign of Nero. Um, It's thought that um, there was a great fire in Rome at that time, and that um, Nero was looking for a scapegoat. He blamed that um, on the Christians. Um, and it's thought really that Paul um, probably died around that time in um, AD 64. Uh, but this, I mean, Paul is a remarkable man. I think the more we learn about Paul, you know, the more amazed we are really. Um, and um, <clears throat> he gives us, he, Paul gives us really his, his epitaph really at the, end of, at the end of his life. And he gives that in uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 to 8. And he says... From already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So that's really where we see, we see this great man of God. We see this man of God who, who, had, who had all of those characteristics um, so used of the Lord. And we see him uh, you know, being ready to be, to be poured out um, in Rome. Wouldn't it be amazing to be even a hundredth, a hundredth of the man that Paul was? Don't you think that would be amazing? I'd love to be a hundredth. If, if God just said to me, you can be a hundredth of who Paul was, I'd be really happy. I'd be really, I'd be really, really happy. Um, but, you know. So, <laughs> 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 I 
But finally, finally, what we what we see what we see about Paul is is we see we see that the man who is used of God or the woman, not just man, woman, Janet. <laughs> we see that the man, <laughs> we see that the man or the woman of God, they have these basic characteristics. They're they're an industrious servant of all. They're unflinching in the face of calamity. They're not destroyed by adulation or criticism. They're faithful to discern what God's saying and they act in faith on his prompting. They value relationships with other believers. They're capable of giving a clear account of God's dealings with them. They have an open door, always they have an open door to those in need. And their message centres on Jesus Christ.